my money. Money. I get money from you. Money in the bank. Young money. Money, 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 money. It's a rich man's world. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. World-renowned financial advisor and best-selling author Barry James Dyke will arm you with the truth. This is The Economic Warrior. Please note, the opinions expressed on this show are of the individuals who speak them, and not necessarily of Portsmouth Community Radio, its members, or board of trustees. Jack, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today, and... uh, you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there about uh, insurance products and annuities and so forth, but um, you have a very deep background and uh, very extensive background in finance and uh, and the financial service business. And uh, could you please, you know, you're very, very qualified to talk about the stuff, so, but could you please give the our audience a little bit about your background, education, and what you've broker dealer and all that stuff? I've uh, done quite a bit of stuff in uh, the financial services world for several years, and uh, that's what I do. Yeah. Now, now, yeah, now, the whole thing is, Jack, is now, didn't you get a, uh, didn't you used to run a broker-dealer, am I correct? Uh, uh, yes, quarter century ago, almost, 20 years ago, yeah. 20 years ago, and okay, so, um, <clears throat> and then, uh, and uh, but, um, now, did you get your doctorate from Webster? Will, I'm, I'm, are you working on your doctorate degree as well? I got that quite a few a few years ago, yeah. Okay, all right. So, so should I should we call you Doctor Jack? Jack works. Really. Okay, all right. Anyhow, anyhow, Jack. So, um, so any event. So you came out the advantage compendium. Comp, is that how, is that the correct way to say it? Uh, I, uh, compendium. I try to pick a word most people can't pronounce, but compendium. <laughs> you, you did a good job. In it. okay, but um, so. And so, anyhow, you started bring some sunlight on onto um, why annuities are, uh, are are should be, you know, at least consider a, a portion of one's retirement. How did you come up with? How did you start working on this? Because obviously, you've looked at other financial products. It, that's where it came about was from looking at different products. At uh, annuities, fill a bill in a couple different ways. One, they provide uh, an income that you can't outlive, and they're the only product that can guarantee that. Uh, the other thing is the fixed annuity side provides some protection on growth and, and minimum guarantees. So they fill a niche. Yeah, and um, I don't know if you're aware of that, but so this is really kind of a don't you do you see the um, retirement income being a major problem for the American economy for people coming into retirement? Uh, what do you what do you think on that? All of the stats say that yes, that is that is a problem. People do not have enough income and will not have enough income in retirement in general. Yeah. And, um, and you know, one of the studies you did, Jack, this is uh, back in 2010. It was the uh, called the Wharton Financial Institution Center for Personal Finance about real uh, world index um, annuity returns. And, and and obviously you wrote it with uh, two other guys, Jeffrey Vanderpal and David Babel, uh, two res- very respected guys, um, and you highlighted the the uh, the uh, a study, one of the studies done by uh, Cole uh, Wilcox and Eric uh, Crittenden. Is that the, and, and about uh, the real world returns, the Russell three thousand? Um, it's people's returns in the market are pretty disastrous. Am I correct? 
depending on the period, they can be, yes. Yes. So, um, you know, because on on this, uh, according to the study, between a period between 1983 and 2006, uh, maybe I'm wrong here, but uh, uh, it's um, 40% of the stocks had negative returns. Uh, 20% of the value of the stocks got wiped out entirely. And only ten percent of the stocks really made any returns over the over that uh, roughly that period. Is that is that correct? I, I couldn't tell you that. I didn't do that research. Okay. All right. All right. But, uh, but anyhow, this was I maybe got this from uh, the, uh, the other guys. But um, uh, uh, so w- with these kind of gloomy statistics, okay, um, shouldn't uh, investors and advisors uh, be really concerned about protecting their principal savings? Don't you? Th- what do you think about that? The risk profile is everybody should be concerned about having enough liquidity to make it through market down cycles. So, yes, there should be uh, portions of the money placed in non-market risk vehicles. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, uh, how how is the uh, – now, has the research you've done, have the, has the media been open to this research that you've done about um, – you know, the, the, the real-world returns you found? Generally, no. The media uh, tends to talk to other people that don't do annuities, so they don't do recently. They typically don't report on annuities. Yeah, yeah. And then that's, you know, I, I, I think you, um, I, I forwarded you some of my research. Uh, yeah. You know, that uh, which is amazing is that the New York Times <laughs> uh, last month uh, – I purchased a uh, roughly annuity for two hundred twenty-five million uh, to uh, fund their retirement plan. I, I, were you aware of that one, Jack? After getting your data, yes. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, yeah. Hang, no, hang on, my I have a sidekick, Will Pierce. Uh, he wants to ask you a question, Jack. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Hi, Jack. Um, I'm not a financial expert like you guys, um, and uh, I'm sure some of our listeners, are, um, most of our listeners, aren't either. Uh, so, I know. Um, now, you're an expert on uh, annuities. Could you tell us what an annuity is and uh, w- where it started, where the ag- idea got started? And you can go back to Babylon if you want or ancient Rome. Uh, so uh, you're, you, uh, do you teach at, uh, at Webster or you're you a researcher there, or Webster University? I'm, I'm, a, uh, I'm a research fellow at Webster. I don't teach there. You don't teach there? Uh, okay. But going back on annuities, yeah, it's a long, long history of guaranteeing an income uh, for a certain period of her life. So it goes back over 2,000 years. Uh, it was done in the Middle Ages. Uh, the first type of variable annuity, as it were, was done by the Roman Catholic Church. So, I mean, it's long history, very long history. How and is essentially it? what an annuity is supposed to do is you build up funds and then spend those funds to provide income in later life. Is this a do you share funds with other people or do you, or is this sort of like an individual investment? I'm sorry, I missed the first part. Uh, uh, do you share these funds with other people in an annuity or, or is it an, an, an individual investment? A fixed annuity is is a, a individual account and the insurance company invested in different things on behalf of all the people that have their annuities. But it's your own money. It's not like a mutual fund or anything like that. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. But also too, but the one of the the advantage of the um, 
of equity index annuities, which we're talking about in particular, is that um, uh, they, you know, I don't know, um, I, and I, I've been following this, Jack, on that re- report you guys did, uh, it was just a um, uh, research, uh, I don't know what you call it, paper, but on the um, real-world index inter- returns. Because of downside protection, the index annuities actually outperformed the S&P 500 uh, for about about eight, eight nine-year period. Is that correct? They can, and they did. It was a unique first decade of the century. is a rather unique period, and yeah, the, the average uh, index annuity for the data I collected outperformed the typical uh, index fund for that period. Yeah. Do we have any? Uh, uh, now we've had the markets gone crazy as of late. Do, do you know how they performed since that date? Is it still been pretty good? I mean, or is it is it is it competed with uh, say a standard index? No, no. The the index annuities have not been uh, anywhere near what the mutual funds have done over the last few five year periods. But again, the point on that is they weren't supposed to in the first place. Yeah, they're yeah. supposed to be an alternative to bonds and uh, CDs and that sort of thing. Exactly, exactly. And that's you know that's and that's one of the whole things is that um, a little story. I and I and I um, talk. You know, if, if we have interest rate increase and we should have it at some point. People don't have no idea about interest rate risk, do they, Jack? Um, no. No, and I, I guess maybe for our listeners out there, I'll, I'll give you a story, a real-world story, Will, and I think I may have yeah. discussed this. Yeah, tell us what an interest rate risk is. Well, I, when my father died, unfortunately, when I was young, when he was 23, uh, he had roughly about $100,000 in life insurance proceeds, which we invested in the market. We, we, we actually, I wasn't even, I was in electronics at the time, I didn't high-tech, but... Um, we put this, Jack, uh, back then when we looked at it, we had a friend of our family who was an investment banker, and we put it with um, in a bond fund, a uh, major uh, Boston bond fund, let's say, and um, she got a coupon. My mom got a coupon roughly 6.5%, and um, and uh, which is a great return at the time. But then they remember what happened in the uh, – in the 1980s, Jack, uh, interest rates went up to 16, 17%. And by the time I was in the business, my mom said to look at her her fund and the interest rate, uh, her, she was still getting that six, $700 a month in, in, in payments, but her principal went from 100,000 now to 40, like 43,000. So that's interest rate risk. And that's what annuities are great at protecting people of that stuff. Am I correct? Absolutely. For example, the last five year period, uh, this was in the Wall Street Journal last month. The average bond fund returned only 2% over the last five years uh, per year, and that's mainly due to the increase in interest rates. Wow, so I didn't know that. And then, you know, not only that is that, um, you know, a bond fund, too, is, and I was just looking at this, and people don't understand this. I didn't even see this until I was actually doing some work for a client, is that when you're having a bond fund, these interest rates changing even a little bit, they move these portfolios quite a bit. So I was looking at one of the largest bond funds in the United States, and I found out the turnover, Jack, was over 300%. <laughs> so, you know, when a, a multi-billion dollar uh, uh, bond fund could actually get its return crushed just from the trading costs. So uh, another question is that, um, but index annuities too, um, you know, this is a... Uh, but they don't, uh, index annuities, they, they themselves, they don't have any of the fixed, um, or the higher management costs of the variable annuities, am I correct? They don't have the, because I know uh, they don't have, uh, could you tell our audience about how they're lesser of a charge? 
It's the way if the index annuity works. It's a fixed annuity. You have a minimum, minimum uh, guaranteed interest rate, uh, and then you earn more interest based on how the index performs and the amount of the upside of that you get depends upon uh, how much of the, the index power they can get. So there's no direct cost or management cost. It's all about how much uh, potential they can buy for the consumer. Yeah, but the thing is, too, is that I know with the, with the uh, people, I've had some people recently come to the office They said, well, what do you think about a variable? And I said, well, an index annuity, um, I don't know, general, I think Morningstar, and I think this is probably still pretty accurate, is that average um, uh, cost on a variable annuity is roughly about uh, 2%, a little bit over 2% in terms of mortality and expenses and management fees. And uh, with the fixed equity index annuity, there is, uh, there's none of these um, uh, charges. Um, there's no management fees, and there's no 12B1 fees, which are, you know, essentially marketing expenses uh, for the broker-dealer. Am I correct? Very true, yes. None of those charges. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, you know, the whole thing, another, uh, one of the things which we'd like you to also discuss is that one of the problems I think is, and I think you've done the research on this, Jack, is that as we get older, um, people's ability to make um, – Investment decisions really declines. Is that correct? Yes, for most of us, yes. So, would you uh, want to make your investment decisions before you uh, a certain age? You think, or before well, you retire? That's that's one of the arguments for using uh, things like fixed annuities. Is that once you've done that, you can pretty much leave them alone and uh, and not touch them because you're protected from market risk or at least market downside risk. And uh, you don't, since you don't have to mess with them, it doesn't take as much cognitive power, and uh, you're less likely to make a bad decision because you're not making a decision. Well, what happens as we get older? Because I'm getting older. <laughs> Are you going to, and we're not getting older, younger. We're not going to lose it. So uh, when should no, we start the, to watch out? Yeah, the, the, I'm sorry. When should we, you know, maybe question our own uh, abilities? To, uh, to make these decisions? Well, excellent question. The one, th- the one point I can say is 65 is too young. Uh, the new 65 is about 77. So we've, we've advanced our mental age at least to that point. Typically, you don't run into serious problems, uh, if there are going to be problems, until your 80s. And so some people, 90s, and again, you've got a core of people that, that never happens to them. They're clear as a bell until the day they die. But the main crisis point, I guess, is you should start getting your ducks in a row by the time you're age 75, mm-hmm. and which is it's an arbitrary cutoff, but it's not a bad one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do people, uh, I mean, do they become more trusting as they get older? Or? It's not trusting as much as you don't process as quickly, so you tend to revert back to what's worked before. Uh you use heuristics, rules of thumb. Mm-hmm. You say, well, I've, I've this worked once, I'll try it again. And you tend to do that too much because you're not absorbing the new information. And when you keep making the same old decision, often you can make bad decisions. Could, could you give us an example of, of what sort of a decision you might have made back in the, I don't know, 80s or... Or, or uh, yeah, I'm trying, or, think, I'm, I'm trying to think like of examples of stuff like that. Uh, a heuristic is a... Um, is like it's just a rule of thumb. Like, it's just, of thumb? That's all that means. Just mm-hmm. a rule of thumb. 
Uh, yeah, my mind's blanking on that. See, see what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How old are you uh, now? <laughs> well, I, one of the points would be always uh, always keep 60% vested or 70% vested. 100 minus your age, put that into uh, uh, the stock market. And that's a nice metric. But it's it's a made up metric and it doesn't hold true, especially when you get older, uh, because there's nothing supporting that. So you might not want to use that 100 minus your age to determine how much you keep in the stocks, because there are so many other factors affecting the stock market as you've talked about. So that would be a rule of thumb that worked in the past for you, maybe when you were age 50, but it's not going to work when you reach 70, 75, or 80. Yeah, I. Um... A question for you, Jack. Um, now, because you've dealt with the um, who you I work with, it was the Fixed Index Annuity Association. I can't remember a trade group, whatever. And one of the things which I see is a real problem is that the the general public it um, uh, doesn't have a clue of um, uh, the power of of these products, and um, uh, and I and I, I call it essentially because of the rise of the asset management industrial complex. I think I don't know what the Life industry manages for money in the in, uh, roughly about three trillion, I think, two to three trillion. Whereas the fund industry manages um, sixteen trillion plus. Um, do you do you think that the, the the general public has any clue of the benefits of using insurance products um, to have a safe retirement or or, or a safer retirement? Well, the, the surveys and studies show they understand they like the benefits, but they don't understand the coming from annuities. Uh, most of the surveys say that people want at least part of the money to come from a stable, dependable income source. They want at least some of their money to have a guaranteed growth vehicle where they cannot lose money. And you get high numbers on this, 70, 80, 90% of the people say they want this. And then when you mention the word annuity, they say, I don't want an annuity. So there, there's definitely a disconnect between the benefits and what they think an annuity is. And the main uh, problem there is many people think an annuity is something you buy that you're locked into, that you can't get out of, and when you die, the insurance company keeps your money, Yeah, which is only one very small part of one type of annuity. With the rest of the annuities, none of that applies. Yeah, yeah, and that's the uh, people, uh, yeah, and, and that's the, uh, I don't know what you call it, the uh, misinformation. I And people ask me that stuff all the time, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a real, uh, real, you know, this real, I guess, a communication problem. Do you think the industry is going to address this at all? Or, I mean, because um, that's what most people still think. Would you agree? I, I agree. I'm not optimistic about the industry doing it. I think what you're eventually going to see is corporations and retirement plans, as I think you alluded to too in one of your things. Uh, that's who's going to be teaching people about annuities. Unfortunately, it won't be the insurance companies. It's going to be the employers. Yeah. So but anyway, so I think I forwarded you this thing this week. Uh, the Trump administration, which uh, wants to see more annuities, and because it's a crisis, let, let, let's face it, it's it's a train wreck, and it's going to happen. And um, and I don't have all the answers, but I do know that insurance companies are better managing principal than banks or mutual fund companies. It's just, it's a fact. Well, what's a train wreck, Barry? Is it the economy? Well, the the, the this retirement crisis. Oh, okay. You know, so. Yeah, would you agree, Jack, on that? We, we, we both agree that there is going to be a, a, a real problem in the next 10, 15 years? Yes, absolutely. All right. So so my point is is that um, uh, my research, and uh, and I forward you the latest, and this is all verifiable, 
um, uh, by um, that. <laughs> That seventy percent, six percent, Jack, of the major banks in the United States, you know, Wells Fargo, Shank of America, all these major banks, okay, they all have own huge positions of life insurance and annuities. All of them do, and um, but conversely, um, so these people are very much in the, in the know and want to manage your money, all own huge chunks of life insurance and annuities for you know pensions and so forth, um, but only five percent of uh, 401k retirement plans have annuities. Uh, what do you say about that? I think there's going to be a change in the number of retirement plans offering annuities. Yeah, it's... Uh, it would, the, the more, more they'll be offering them more frequently? Absolutely. That The government is heading that way, and uh, the academics are heading that way, and reality is heading that way, yeah. Yes, yeah, that was the that was amazed me is that, um, but now is this going to be more or less? Um, do you think it's going to be employer mandated or a, a choice uh, mechanism? What do you what do you think is going to happen? I, um, uh, because I, I by the way I did send you my latest books. The, the GAO, the Government Accounting okay. Office, and every and a number of economists have really recommended this. Am I correct? Uh, oh yes, absolutely. Uh, Go ahead. Will's got a my, Will hmm. Pierce has got a question. Will Jack, uh, let's say I buy an an annuity and it's uh, it'll pay out uh, it's a hundred dollar annuity. It'll pay out two dollars a year or something uh, for for an extended period of time. What about inflation risk? Are there um, annuities that are, um, take that into account? Uh, you said inflation. I'm sorry. Yeah, inflation risk. Is there okay? Because uh, that's something I worry about because uh, there's quite a bit of it right now. And uh, y- if you buy a, an annuity that's denominated in 19, you know, 2017 do- dollars and then 20 years down the road, uh, those dollars aren't worth very much. Uh, True. So, so are there annuities which take inflation into, into account or is it a matter of uh, – Cost of living, yeah. Yes, you can buy um, you can buy life annuities that have an inflation feature, where the income automatically goes up with the rate of inflation or a certain percentage each year. Uh, the initial payout isn't as high because of the risk to the to the insurance company. It's one without that, but sure, those are available. Yes, so that's, so that's you know the best of both worlds, and then you know really because I think Will's getting at is because the purchasing power of a dollar goes down. You know when the government keeps printing up the money. And uh, we all know that, but um, but the using an equity index uh, annuity, or for that matter, a variable annuity, uh, would give people the uh, potential of, of the upsides of the market. Would you agree? I, I'm more on the working on the guarantees, but yes, you do have potential upside there. I mean, my big uh, fascination with these are the guarantees. Yeah. Yes. Yes. They're, yes, they're absolutely upside potential too. Are are you locked into these annuities, like um, for for an extended period of time, or you can dispose of them, or like you can stocks? The a deferred annuity, a deferred annuity is one that you are planning to take the money out of later. Uh, may have a penalty period for a year or two years or up to ten years, and if you get out early, they'll be charged a penalty, early withdrawal. So that's how that would be the the lock, I guess. The, it's in the liquidity, but it's going to cost you uh, an immediate annuity, which pays a lifetime income and, and 
immediately as an immediate annuity, those typically you cannot cash in. But 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 they'll pay out a certain period of time, like a you may get an uh, annuity like a, what is called ten years certain, which are a guaranteed period of ten years or twenty years. Um, but but that's guarantees an income stream for life. But that's kind of like Jack. We're just kind of like building another Social Security or another pension plan. Uh, what we're doing with an annuity, am I correct? Yes, and that's what I like to use them for: is your essential expenses. Social Security covers some of your essential expenses. Use the annuity to cover the rest of your essential expenses. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, O.J. Simpson, he had a um, he had some <laughs> some uh, retirement savings, and uh, the uh, they're they're protected, uh, and he, especially if you move to Florida. Um, are are, uh, are annuities uh, protected as part of your retirement plans from uh, people grabbing them uh, in court? From the from lawsuits and judgments and that sort of thing, in some states, uh, annuities are protected. And I, I couldn't tell you which ones. I can't remember. But in some states, they are. In some states, they're not. I, well, yeah, I know. I, I, I read a book about this, Jack. You know, but yeah. Okay. That's, that's a good question. Yeah, but no, uh uh, I call it the Ken Lay protection. Uh, remember Ken Lay? He ran Enron. Sure. Remember? Okay. Uh, well, when Ken Lay died in 2003, 2004, that of a heart attack in Colorado. In jail. In jail, yeah. And, uh, and they, <laughs> they said he was having a conjugal visit or something like that. But, uh, yeah. But in any event, so he uh, was 63 or whatever, and he, uh, he had roughly $13 million in assets, Jack. Uh, this is true. And he had thirteen million dollars in liabilities, uh, but when he died, he had like ten point five million dollars in split dollar life insurance left over from when he ran Enron, and he had another five million five point three million dollars in uh, fixed and variable annuities. So when he died, his assets and liabilities um, canceled each other out. But his wife Linda Lay got fifteen million dollars in Texas. And she got the whole thing, and they couldn't attach it. Hmm. There we go. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Do, do you think many advisors, even the public, was aware of that? I, I probably not. Yeah. Well, is that something? As uh, when you guys are advising people, um, do you, do you uh, assess their uh, their risk of getting caught in a lawsuit, or do you take that into account? Uh, for you back? I don't advise people, so I could. Oh yeah, okay. no, Jack is the research, okay? But, but yeah, so I think that you know, so now Jack, you're 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 in uh, you moved down from Missouri, now you're in Texas. So, yeah, just to let you know, so Texas is one of the better states. Um, uh, uh, it, it, yeah, if, if you're going to go bankrupt or get sued or whatever, it's uh, one of the best states. Uh, Texas is one. Huh? Florida's Florida. Florida's great. New York is pretty good. Arizona's awesome. Um, you know, this is a bunch of states. Uh, now, New Hampshire, where we live, where I live, okay, it's, it's kind of lousy. You don't even get a box of tools, but if you get sued really? or go bankrupt, yeah. yeah. But in Texas and Florida, and um, I, th- I think in Massachusetts, you get to keep your car and your tools. Yeah, yeah. So, and uh, well, you're you're in Maine, uh, but I don't, I don't know how it is there. But no one uh, sued me. it's different from state to state. In Massachusetts, is pr- it's better than New Hampshire, but uh, yeah. So, um, um. So, so what do you what do you what do you see the um, so do you see this kind of trend um, uh, this trend um, 
continuing, Jack? Or do you think people are going to be more aware of it? Um, which, I mean, you speak to the, you've been in the, how, you've been in just about every form of media in, in the United States. Am I correct? I get around a bit. Yeah. You know, and um, and um, it's, 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 people want. You know, my my point is: are, are, do you think people are coming around to uh, the idea? Are, are they are they warming up to the uh, to the truth and, and not getting taken down by all the misinformation, if if you will? I think it's getting better. I really do. The the media is is finally starting to pick up on annuities, and I think a lot of it's because they're hearing about them from the the company plant. They're hearing more of the story. So I'm hearing fewer negative stories and more positive stories. Yeah. Oh, Jack, if, if I put my money in the bank, it's, it's guaranteed by the uh, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. And uh, some insurance, uh, you know, insurance companies there, they also have, um, they're also have guarantees. Now, do these, um, through a, a joint uh, efforts by the, uh, of the of the industry and uh, through the f- uh, federal government. Now, do these annuities have any sort of a guarantee backstop? Uh, like, the, like, like, the annuities are backed by the full faith and credit of the insurance company. Uh, every state has a has a guarantee association where if a, an annuity carrier went belly up, they would use the association to try to make people whole up to a certain amount. But it's not as good as, and it's not a federal plan compared to, when compared to FDIC. There is mm-hmm. something there, but it's it's not uh, it's, it's not the holy grail, no. Well, how often do these um, life insurance companies go belly up? I think Ralph Nader says just about never. <laughs> it's very uh, life insurance annuity carriers very seldom go belly up. Uh, I do. I, I study that stuff too. I'm trying to. The numbers are something like uh, uh, seven or eight carriers have gone into receivership in the last 20 years. All but one came out of receivership, and the one that didn't come out, the people were made whole. And during that same same time period, something like 580 banks failed. Yeah. So, so these so, are much. I mean, it, much yeah, it, the odds <laughs> of this happening are pretty slow. Yeah. It, that that's a great stat. So, I know during the financial crisis, Jack, at least three hundred sixty-seven banks or thereabouts, some pretty, uh, uh, failed during two thousand seven, two thousand eight, yeah. and um, and I've done the research. But uh, I think the largest for uh, uh, life company went into receivership wasn't it first executive. If you remember them, those guys down in California. Way back when, yes, yeah. I think that was the la- I think that was the largest one. Am I correct? And, and that was the. It was run by that guy Freddie Marr or whatever. He was a junk. He was actually he uh, Michael Milken stuffed the whole portfolio with junk bonds, and uh, uh, they went into insolvency. But um, but I couldn't find one company, uh, one instance, Jack, where people didn't get their money back. If you see, I didn't. You know, I can't say that with funds or hedge funds or uh, ETFs or anything like that. I, do you know of any places where people did not get the money back? I can't think of any. There are five cases over the last uh, thirty years where that has happened. Okay, but it's been it was very it's been very limited. They were typically incredibly small companies. Uh, that was, it, everybody with Executive Life did get the money back and yeah. the original go around. Uh, that's not the same thing as the people that were covered under these 
uh, gick notes, which is a totally different subject. Yeah. But uh, everybody was made whole up to the limits of the state guarantee fund, which at that time was $100,000 in every state. So, yeah, very unlikely. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> and and but, the, but the whole thing is that we know uh, during the Great Depression, we know, and this is a fact, that 10,000 banks failed. We know that. That's a fact. And, and actually, it was going back to Sol- Solomon Hebner, he found that 99.9% of the bank uh, life insurance companies stayed in business, which is better than ivory soap, I guess, you know? You know, it was more, you know, you know, and so, um, uh, so even today, even, you know, with this craziness going on, uh, um, life companies are still more stable because they're not levered institutions. But um, uh, you, you have a question, Will, on that? Um, yeah, Jack. No, you, you, you're a, a scholar of um, the evolution of uh, regulation in in uh, in this industry, and um, I, I'm interested to you know let's say I take a look at my um, credit card contract from a from a bank you know I, I won't be able to understand it. it's incoherent uh, practically uh, Elizabeth Warren says she can't understand them but if I take a look at my insurance contract from uh, my home for my home or for uh, for my car it's written to a seventh grade level uh, at, le- at least in Maine and this is a um, it's written that way by law so we can understand it uh, and this is a this is a consequence of um, state insurance uh, regulators um, taking action to for the benefit of consumers now um, the uh, banks most banks are Governed by the federal government, or, or, or uh, regulated by the federal government, and so they aren't uh, overseen by state regulators. But um, how did how did we get this good situation uh, uh, for consumers w- with uh, state regulators? How did that come about? It goes back to the Civil War. Civil War was the first time that they decided to keep them under the states, and uh, they stayed there for years. There was a move to put them under the federal government just at the end of World War II, and Congress passed a rule, a law, uh, that said, no, states, insurance companies were going to be state-regulated, and that's where we remain today. Was that the Ferguson law, was it? Or? Uh, uh, McCarran. Uh, McCarran, okay. Uh, Ferguson law, yeah, McCarran. McCarran, Ferguson, yeah, so this is the whole thing. Is I'm a kind of a states guy, so the whole... The fact of the matter is, is that the states have been a, done a better job, been a better watchdog for the consumer than the Fed has. And um, but anyhow, Jack, it's been wonderful to have you on. Uh, uh, where can people find out more about you if they want to contact and you? Spell it, please. And please spell it out for us, Jack. How can people find? If they want to find Jack Marion because this goes out to advisors around the country and uh, and other people in the press. How can people uh, contact you? I would just say contact Barry because I don't really deal with the public and I, I don't really deal with the <laughs> okay. so Just uh, they can contact you and you can contact me. All right, all right, Jack. That's been awesome. But anyhow, you've been listening to WSCA in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. My name is Barry James Dyke. You can find out more by Googling me, going to barryjamesdyke.com. I'm here with my sidekick, Will Pierce, enhancement engineer, Phil Kleiger. And Jack Marion's been with us from uh, the beautiful state of Texas. And, Jack, thanks so much, and we'll do this again Thank sometime. You. Sounds great. Thanks. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye.
This has been The Economic Warrior with your host, Barry James Dyke. Broadcast live at WSCA Portsmouth Community Radio. Engineered by Phil Kleiger. If you have any questions about today's show or need an ally in conquering the battleground of finance, contact the warrior himself at barryjamesdyke.com. Who are the warriors?